Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. And Abundantly Well, Seven Medicines, The Wise Woman Way, the newest book in the Wise Woman Herbal Series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you this evening? Oh, still working hard, getting the harvest in, working with Mm. all the peaches. Oh, my gosh. So many Mm. peaches. We We found a recipe for... 
umeboshi, you know, everybody who visits really loves the umeboshi vinegar, which is not really vinegar so much as brine. And the flavor of that is shiso. And we had a bumper crop of shiso this year. There's so much shiso. Oh, my gosh. And um, the peach tree, which fell. We harvested all the peaches before the hurricane. So Justine said, we should make umeboshi plums. And, of course, the first thing the recipe says was, don't even bother to try this with anything other than umi plums. If you try it mm-hmm. with peaches or apricots, it's simply won't work. And we said, okay, good. We understand. It won't work. We're going to do it anyhow. <laughs> because, of course, all, all the comments, all the comments following the recipe were, 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 and where do you expect us to get plums? Oh, I can get them, but they're so costly. I wouldn't dare to make them. In this. <laughs> so Justine took some of the peaches and said she was going to put up some umeboshi. And uh, Michelle and I, the apprentice and I, we got a new um, and five-gallon white plastic bucket, and we started loading it salt peaches. She's so salt peaches. She's so. Now, Justine, being a Culinary Institute trained chef, um, so far has a much better looking product than I do. Partly because she used 18% salt, so she weighed her <clears throat> umi, in this case green plums, and then weighed her salt, and the salt is 18% of the weight of her <clears throat> umi. And then she picked okay. shiso leaves, just the leaves, just the big leaves, and she massaged them with salt and then rinsed them before she put them in mm. with her umi. So she has, you know, a jar really filled with liquid in the peaches, and the shiso looks beautiful. We just put salt in shiso stalks and all, and salt peaches, shiso, salt peaches, shiso. And so I realized today we're getting some liquid, but it's not really getting as liquidy as it's supposed to be. The shiso stalks are probably acting like rebar and preventing the peaches from sinking down and really being acted on by the salt. So we're going to have to get in there and pull all the shiso stalks out. And it, our recipe said you could use 10%, 12% or 14, no, 8, 10 or 12% salt. It didn't have any option for 18%, but Justine's recipe did. So we used 10% because it was in the middle between 8, 10, 12 and um, I can see the difference between the much more lavish amount of salt that she used, and that's why her peaches are so wet. They're literally, um, if they weren't so packed tightly in the jar, they'd be floating. There's so much liquid in that jar. Mm-hmm. Now, my my five-gallon container was filled to the brim when we were done. We um, got a bowl in which... We weighed out three pounds of peaches so we could see how much it was and put that in. We had three pounds of salt. So we put in ten bowls of peaches and three pounds of salt. So we had 10%. And um, it seemed like a huge amount of salt. But she, she, and the recipe did say the more salt you use, the better it will be, the safer it will be. But I also mm-hmm. know that stomach cancer is a big, common problem among people who eat a lot of really highly salted things like umi. Mm. So I wanted to see mm. if I could keep it a little less. And my recipe said you have to weight it down. If you use 
X amount of umi, you have to use one half that amount of weight to weight it down. So we put a a kitchen, a nice cotton kitchen towel, and then a layer of plastic, and then a plate, a ceramic plate that exactly fit the diameter of the five-gallon bucket, and then another five-gallon bucket in which we started putting, well, I put two five-pound bags of flour, and then I had two two-pound hand weights, and we had another three-pound box of sugar. So we figured that was just a little bit over 50. Pounds. That would work out. That would be fine. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I've been wanting to press it more and more. I, every time I go past it, every day I add another, you know, oh, hey, look at this. I've got a five-pound thing of sugar. I'm going to put that in, in, in my bucket. And, oh, look, I have um, a, a big thing of vodka. I'm going to put that in there to make sure the lid's on there tight, Susan. <laughs> So we're having a lot of fun. I've also cooked one, two, three, four, five two-gallon pots of peach pieces with um, some rosehip concentrate that I had, which makes it so nice. Wow. You have and a lot of pieces. Are... Oh, we had... we're not done yet. <laughs> we also made a five-gallon block of peach vinegar. Uh, in which we added uh, quite a bit of sugar and salt to the peaches and put them in a crock. And we're supposed to stir that every day. It's supposed to sit for at least a week. So far, it's just like really bubbly and really sweet. So it's mm. got to like ferment more and more and more and then turn to vinegar. But it really smells like peaches. You take the, the, the cloth off of it and you're just like knocked off your feet with the smell of the peaches. It's so good. And then oh. we're still... There's still five or six bags of peaches that I haven't processed. Oh, my goodness. <gasps> wow. <laughs> a bunch. Wow, peaches. And the peaches that I'm cooking are, are get chilled. They get put in the refrigerator chilled, and then they're frozen. And then they'll be available mm. to me for, you know, whatever I want, peach smoothies, uh, peaches over vanilla ice cream. Nick um, mm. is one of the great summer desserts that we like is um, – a Dutch apple pancake. And mm. I don't know where I got the recipe. But we did what we always do with a new recipe, which is we followed it. You know, with, mm. unless there's like, you know, <laughs> just we can tell that it's going to be way too much sugar or unless it has hot pepper in it, something like that. But usually we just follow the recipe, even if we think it's screwy, because we want to see what that other person is getting at. We want to have that other person's experience, not just our experience all the time. So it called for one apple sliced mm. and cooked in butter with some cinnamon. And that was very good, but we looked at each other and went, two apples. And mm. so the next time he made this Dutch apple pancake, we put two apples in it, and at the end of that, we looked at each other and went, eight apples. Mm. <laughs> How many apples did he say he put in the one we just had? What did he say, 16, 20? Now we just put in as many apples as we could possibly fit in the pan with the batter. <laughs> so I said to him, Dutch peach bad cake next. Wow, you have plenty of peaches to make it happen. <laughs> so he went off with a quart of my cooked peaches, and I expect to see a Dutch peach pancake following my dinner someday this week. Ooh-hoo. Oh, so lovely. So tasty. <laughs> so tasty. <laughs> so what have you been up to? 
Oh, it's been um, an interesting week. The insects and the peepers have been so in song every evening. Um, our air conditioning broke this week, so I've really been enjoying the last burst of summer because we've had like 90 degree weather. And the air conditioner just said, eh, enough. And it's been really interesting watching what that does to me. And I thought it would make me more tired, but it actually made me up and about more because it wasn't as easy to be relaxed and comfortable, like, you know, on the couch after dinner or something like that. So it's been a nice little spontaneous experiment of um, enjoying the heat of the end of the summer without air. And um, I concocted some fun brews to put in the hummingbird feeders because I started noticing the hummingbirds coming out of one area of the yard and I've just truly been delighting in the magic of these hummingbirds. I mean, I always feel blessed when I see one and I have been just so grateful to see three at a time, sometimes feeding from the feeder and, you know, telling each other it's my turn, it's my turn. So the hummingbirds have been a delight this week for us, for me specifically. And we had a tree fall yesterday. So uh, that was interesting because we share a road with our neighbors and fell in the part of the road that's our responsibility. So we had to scramble quickly and we have this lovely gentleman in the neighborhood that has helped him in the neighborhood for like 20 years. And he was just so readily um, here for us and helped us clear the tree and the street. So the goats have been delighting and that abundance because there is plenty of fresh leaves that fell. It took out part of some maples and then it's a hackberry tree, which um, I looked online and that's a whole other story because there's so much misinformation about what goats can and can't eat because I've helped watch your goats and the things that said that goats couldn't eat was just unbelievable to me because your goats do just fine with those things. Um, So, yes, it's been just an interesting week of learning and fun and just being and enjoying nature. Yeah. One place I lived, there was a plant that is reputedly poisonous to everything, including the bees. Mm. There's a kind of wildest dahlia called pinkies. And supposedly, beekeepers who keep bees in areas where pinkies bloom cover their hives so the bees can't go to the pinkies. Wow. When I lived in an area where there was a lot of it, my goats would go out every year and eat enough of it to get really sick. And I mean vomiting and groaning sick. Mm. And also, it appeared to me Tripping. <laughs> they would have like diarrhea running down the backs of their legs. They would be up chucking. And if they could have been chuckling, they would have been chuckling. Oh, what a sight. The this first time so- they did it, I thought, my goats have killed themselves. They're going to die because there are reports of goats dying from eating it. But it turned out that goats will only die from eating it if you have the goats locked up, and you cut it and feed it to them. Mm. It's like then they don't have, like, sense. 
I also saw my goats eat a plant that is supposed to be poisonous to everything, Veratrum viridis, sometimes called Indian poker, false hellebore. And it's supposed to have cardiac glycosides. It's supposed to stop your heart. It's a really big plant, and it grows in like patches of 20 or 30. So it's not just like one plant that one goat is going to eat. Like the whole herd of goats is eating this. And I'm frantic, frantic, tearing them away from it. But you know you can only do so much. You can get one goat, and then the others are still there. And then you go and get another goat, and the one that you took away is back in there. And I'm like... I, you know, I just like started jumping them down and screaming at them and tried to scare them off and did eventually scare them off, but they got very sick, very, mm. very sick, and they were not smiling. They were not happy with being sick, so much so that the next time we were in that part of the woods and they saw that plant, they began to stomp a foreleg and snort. Wow. Wow. Which is the ruminant equivalent of alarm, alarm. And thereafter, they taught their children not to go near that plant. Love that. And they are so smart. And with experience is the best teacher, just like with the rebar and the peaches, with the umiboshi that you are making. Experience. Right. Get that so so out of there, Susan. There's a reason they say take the leaves off the stalks. You know, I always uh-huh. like to see if the easy way will work. Uh, me too. <laughs> me too. <laughs> and sometimes you just have to admit, nah, the easy way is not going to work this time. And as long as yeah. your attitude is whatever it takes and you're not resentful, why not? Hey, we get to talk to Carolyn Griffiths tonight who sees her work as two blossoms on one stem. She's a spiritual mentor to activists and visionaries, and she's an intuitive ritualist and the founder of Earth Keeper Wisdom School, exploring the power of ceremony for social change as well as personal transformation. Stay with us until 9 o'clock, and you'll hear Carolyn Griffith, or come back at 9 o'clock out here on the East Coast. And I guess it's time to ask, are there any people with their hands raised? Yes, we have one caller who has raised their hands already, and I will let all of our other callers know that if you have a question for Susan this evening, please press 1 on your keypad to let us know. That will put you in the queue, and we will be able to plug you in live to the show. Our first caller who has pressed 1 with their hand raised is calling from the 845 area code. From the 845, you are live with Susan. Thank you, Susan. Hi. Hi. How are well, you tonight? Uh, whenever I talk to you, I am more helpful than m- more hopeful than before. So um, the story. Thank is, you for giving me that honored place. <laughs> uh, the story is uh, I had a. Um, uh, a conflict with my daughter, and whenever we disagree, not whenever, on certain issues, she gets very loud. And I get extremely overwhelmed by loud sounds and 
dogs barking, and God forbid if an alarm goes out in my house, I have to leave the house. Um, I got home and I got 205 on my blood pressure, and uh, I started taking the medication I didn't take ever since I'm taking the Hawthorne and Mother work that uh, you suggested. And I am on it, and uh, the blood pressure is not going very down, uh, but a little lower when I wake up in the morning, and then if I do anything, it goes up. So I'm taking the medication, and I'm taking the motherwort, and the Hawthorne, and the infusions, and basically my question is, and this is something I had all my life, and uh, my mom told me that once we went to the hospital and the lady there during the war was was in the surgery room uh, open without anesthesia, and I fainted hearing her screaming. So the question is, is, is there anything that can help this unfortunate condition? On the good side is that I... I, I hear very well. It it diminished yes. it diminished after my shingles, but I still hear well and I see well. That's the only things that work correctly right now. Okay. Do you agree that you are made of atoms? Yes, I do. Okay. Do you agree that everything is made of atoms? Yes. Do you agree that atoms have a nucleus and a cloud of electrons around the nucleus? Yes. I mean, you know, this is what I learned at school, yeah. Yes. This is what we've learned. All right. So we agree to this. Um, And we know that if you put a ping-pong ball um, at the 50-yard line on a football field, that the cloud of electrons would start at the last row of seats in the stadium, that there's, in fact, a huge amount of space in the atom, yeah? Yeah. So, if we agree that we're made of atoms, and if we agree that everything is made of atoms, then we have agreed that we are made of space and that everything is made of space. And that, in fact, the physical of things is an illusion of motion in the same way that most fans have just a couple of blades, but when they're on, it looks like a solid thing. Now, for our physical forms, this is very important. You don't stick your finger in the rotating fan, or it will act like it's a wall or worse, a knife, and cut it off. So we need to understand that this is not untrue. But we can also understand that it is not true for our minds. That our minds, in fact, can operate with the idea that we are space and that everything, in fact, is space. Sound is space. And that the space that I am is the same as all other space. We're all made of atoms. 
We're all here on this planet. It's not like I can be made of anything that's exotic or different. I'm made of all of the things, and all of the things I encounter are also me. To put this in a somewhat different context, and a more physical context, we know that there have been mass extinctions on this planet. Three or four mass extinctions in which 99% of all life forms gone. <clears throat> in fact, we know of only one life form that has survived all of those mass extinctions. And that is the sea sponge. Sponges which live in the ocean. And the way that sponges live is they take everything in because they are space. And they take from the everything only those things that nourish them and enhance them. And they spit everything else out. And they don't do it consciously. They do it because... That's the dynamic around which the universe is actually ordered. Insofar as we can accept and live in our spaciousness, we can become like the sponge, we can become like the universe itself, fed and nourished from the great influx of everything that flows through our space without ever being injured by any of it. Now at first you will only be able to do this for a minute or two, right? You will sit yourself down and you will say, I agree that I am made of atoms. I, will ag I agree that everything is made of atoms. I agree that atoms are mostly space and that I am mostly space and everything else, including sound, is mostly space. And the space that I am is the same as all other space. We are all made of the same thing. And I now take in only that which nourishes me and freely allow anything that doesn't to go. And this will solve that particular problem, but it won't solve the problem of the resentment that has been built up between you and your daughter. It, 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 it's not... Um, I, it will I bring don't... your blood pressure down. It will allow you to hear any sound. It will work very, very well for you. But still and all, what you want, and I may be speaking out of turn, in your relationship with your daughter is for love to be uppermost, for love to win. There is, and... It does win and also coexists with these um, times that are not often in which I feel very hurt. And not 
No, that's, what, that's exactly what I'm saying. Your high blood pressure is your resentment at her for hurting you. Oh, I see. It's not good for you. And there's no herb or drug or visualization that's going to cure your resentment because resentment purely and simply has to be let go of. We simply have to find the largesse in ourselves to say, yuck, to resentment. It hurts me physically and not mentally. Mentally. Yeah, I know. No, 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 no. It hurts you, it hurts you, it hurts you. That's the resentment right there. You can let it go. I don't feel resentful in between these uh, outbursts. I don't feel resentful. Well, and your blood pressure isn't high in between. No, it isn't. What I'm saying is that all these other things will have some effect on your blood pressure, but what's really driving your blood pressure up to over 200 is resentment, and it doesn't matter whether the resentment is valid or not valid. Resentment is usually valid. It doesn't matter whether it's new resentment or old resentment or held resentment or fresh resentment. It's resentment, and it's deadly. Resentment, in fact, is the most deadly emotion, and it is so deadly that it's worthwhile letting go of it, even if we don't think we're holding it. I agree with you, but what I find myself feeling in the moment is that I want to scream back, and I know if I scream back, this will never end. So I shut myself off, and that's what hurts. And he doesn't feel like resentment. right there is the resentment. When you shut yourself off, you put a mark in your resentment scorecard. We do it even when we want to. Suppose we're in a relationship, and I want to do A, and you want to do B. And I say, I'll do B. I've offered to do B. And at the same time, I have a tiny but real resentment. And if you don't acknowledge that, and acknowledgement can be the next time we say, I want to do this, you want to do that, you say, you gave in to me last time, I'm going to give in to you this time, boom, my resentment mark is erased. They are small resentment marks, but they truly add up, and we're at it all the time. I'm not saying this is something that we can permanently ever get rid of. We need to monitor ourselves and notice and be willing, especially in the mother-daughter relationship, to keep giving in to love. I went to a therapist, and I said, I would never allow any person in the entire universe to treat me the way my daughter treats me. Am I being a sucker or what? And she looked at me and she said, repeat after me, parents eat shit. 
<laughs> I said, thank you for setting me straight. Parents eat shit. Got it. That's why I feel the love and I don't feel the resentment because I am a mother. Exactly. So what I'm saying is it will not hurt if you say, you know, resentment I have toward my daughter, I hereby let go of. If you don't have any, nothing will happen. If you have some, perhaps something will happen. And that's something that might happen, might be that your blood pressure will come down. Who knows? So, um, um, you know, when our dog, who is a sweetheart and we love him as a baby, uh, starts barking because he's got in his genes that he has to protect us. And he has a very strong bark, otherwise he's quiet and adorable. And when he barks, it's like I get hammered in my head and my head explodes. And definitely, I mean, maybe I have physical resentment or something. You know, it hurts, but but I really don't have any feelings of resentment towards him, conscious. And does your blood pressure go up when your dog barks? Uh, I usually scream scream back to shut up, and that helps me to not hold in. My blood pressure goes down when I scream. If I don't scream, I suppose, maybe yes, I didn't check it, yeah. Yeah. But I heard what you said, yes. Give it a try to see if you can have a new relationship with sound so that the bark doesn't make your head explode. But like the sponge, it just goes through you, and any part of it that's useful to you, you use, and the part of it that isn't useful to you keeps on going. Thank you. You're wonderful. You're the best. Green blessings. Good night. Thank you. Thank you, Susan. Right, and at this time, we do not have any callers that have pressed one to signal that they have a question. Um, we do have some All is press- right with the world. Everybody is happy. There are no problems. Oh, I'm always so <laughs> grateful when there are no hands raised, when there's nothing that is bothering people. Mm. So mm-hmm. we can just think of the smell of peaches. Oh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> yes, and Shisandra, the Shisandra vine, which was growing in the peach tree, is very happy. I decided that I was going to call it my peach bush, since mm. it's just laying there on the ground, and it's been a while now, and I kind of thought, you know, that the leaves would all wither up and fall off, but no, they're green and they're lush, and it's like, just like the tree is just... Growing in a different direction, even though it's split, and it's just, is really so peculiar. So I'm thinking maybe what I'm going to do is, like, prune the branches back, um, because the new growth, the new growth is going to grow up, isn't it? Plants always grow against gravity, 
So if I prune it back, but, you know, leave enough for shoots to come up, and fruit trees, especially in the rosaceae, love to shoot. As a matter of fact, one of the things I was taught in pruning apples was to cut the shoots off the apples or to severely prune them back. So we'll see what happens to the peach. Nice. But I don't think I it's I don't think it's a goner, and the Shisandra is so happy, and everybody is talking about what a great Shisandra harvest they had this year. More and more people are finding how incredibly easy it is to grow Shisandra, and mm-hmm. how very fruitful it is, and survives cold winters. Yeehaw! And as we recall, Shisandra, the five-flavor berry, is the only known herb that nourishes and supports the three different energies. The chi, which is your ordinary energy, sometimes called prana or life force, so Chi is in your food, and chi is in the earth, and chi is in the air. All right, chi everywhere. There's tai chi, and there's chi kung. So chi is an energy that comes into us and flows out of us, like I was talking about with the sponge. Mm. And then there's jing. And jing is sometimes called the ancestral energy. It's your resilience. It's the stuff you're made of. And it's not easy to build Jing. Mm. Shisandra builds Jing. It mm. said that when you run out of Jing, when you run out of ancestral energy, that's when you die because you can always replenish Qi. But you can't always replenish Jing. Mm. And, for instance, when I was under anesthesia, I was running on Jing. Right, not chi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be times and situations in which you're going to have to run on chi, that the chi tank is just not available. And how wonderful that Shisandra, uh can help to restore and to strengthen chi. And mm. then there's Chi. Um, and that is your it, I want to say it's your spaciousness it's that which you came from and that which you will return to still vibrating within you it's That's the one thing it's the one vibration it's the one sound it's um, as we can expect, not the kind of thing that we usually can find something to nourish. And so that Shisandra touches even that much expansion in us, touches us to what Grandmother Twyla calls the within, the within, the within. And isn't wow. that so? The chi, the chi. And then the within, the within, the within. It's said that Shisandra goes through every meridian and touches every organ.
organ in the body with grace, with health. Look at that. An adaptogen used for thousands of years in China that just about anybody can grow. It's a perennial. It's a you know real long-lived perennial. So you got to plant it and be patient for a year or two. And when we talked about it before, I think I mentioned that you have to be sure to get the one that has been hybridized to have both male and female on the same plant, so that you actually get berries. Thanks for that reminder. Because now you have me definitely wanting to plant some Chisandra. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of vines and trees are very happy to be planted in the fall. Mm, perfect timing then. Lovely. Mm-hmm. Yes, and is this, this I, the year? You might ask yourself, is this the year I finally plant an elder? Is this mm. the year that I get, hmm, yes, what do I want? That is, a, is that, all right, that's it. I'm finally getting a Vitex. After coming and petting the bees with me and just watching all of the pollinators on the Vitex. It's so wonderful to have a, a shrub that blooms for six weeks and attracts every beautiful flying thing. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Wow. Well, in that space of time and your sharing of the Shisandra, we have had four listeners press one to say that they have a question for you. Are you ready for the next question? All right. I am. All right. Excellent. Uh, We have our next caller calling from the 917 area code. From the 917, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi. Uh, thanks for the interesting discussion on Shazandra and Chi. And I wanted to mention my experience with growing Shazandra. Um, I got some plants from Rico Check's website a few years ago and was reading that their natural inclination is to prefer growing on the ground, actually, um, which I found was interesting because I always thought they were a climbing plant. But I have mine that are climbing on the ground, like just vining on the ground, and they're very happy. Kind of dappled shade, moist soil. And I just wanted yes, to share that with you. Grew, mine grew lavishly all over the ground. Yeah. For years without ever flowering. And it wasn't until a peach pit sprouted from the compost and grew into a tree. And the Shisandra clambered up the peach tree that then it started flowering. Oh, interesting. Great. Well, thank you for the discussion. That's all I wanted to add tonight. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Great. Bye. Green blessings. Bye-bye. All right. And um, we have two callers now with their hands raised. And the next caller is calling from the 512 area code from the 512. You are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hello. How are you tonight? I am good. Um, I uh, was actually calling because, uh, well, I called several weeks ago, probably about six weeks ago, uh, because I was having a miscarriage, and you invited me to call back the following week to let you know how it was going, and I've just been so busy. I actually, this is the first show I've been able to 
tune into since that I did want to call and just sort of check in and and give you an update and let you know that um, everything went accordingly. So uh, I am okay <laughs> for sure. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sure you're, you're welcome. Sure you appreciate how important what you're doing is and how important it is for everybody who's listening. Yes, yeah, definitely. Yes, yes, yes. Um, especially because, I mean, you know, I didn't have really any information about the process. You know, you hear people talk about having miscarriages, and then there's not really any discussion about what happens. And if you look on the Internet, you know, at any different source, really, there's just uh, – it pretty it's just really alarming kind of because you there is so much blood and and you're you know i mean at least for me there was and um but my instinct my intuition told me that you know obviously that uh if if my uterus was lining itself to prepare for a life that there would be quite a bit of blood you know and and uh and um I think that stopped probably after like 12 hours was the total amount of time that there was heavier bleeding. And then I actually did bleed lightly, very, very lightly every day for about three weeks after. So that was a little, it was kind of irritating, you know, because I didn't know when that was going to stop, but it was a very small amount. And um, yeah, I just, uh, we had a family trip to the beach plan, so we went and did that uh, the following, like, two weeks after. Um, and uh, and then I also wanted to tell you that I uh, had previously purchased the, um, oh, I can't think of what you call it, but the skin course that you have for, you know, all the face masks and the beautifying things that you can do and it was so fun I actually did that the following weekend after uh, my miscarriage like after I talked to you with my with my daughters and um, it was so cool it was really great it's such a great course actually I'll go ahead and you know plug that for you because it was so I highly recommend it <laughs> it was a lot of fun to do that and um, and uh I'm so, I'm so glad that you shared in the fun because Monica Jean and I had such a hoot doing that, putting all of those <laughs> yeah. yogurt and honey and all kinds of things on each other's faces. We we it was such a delight, and I'm so glad that it's that you share that with your daughters too. Mm, yeah, so my oldest is 15, so I guess she's just a couple years older. So, uh, and my husband too. I actually put some on his face, and he, you know. <laughs> He enjoyed it. Too, All right, so. yay, yay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got a photograph, actually. I should probably, maybe I'll send it to you. I have a photograph of, like, all oh, of yes. kind of like a selfie, <laughs> you know, with chocolate and, uh, or the cocoa powder and uh, honey, and yes. I can't remember. We mixed up all sorts of concoctions. But it's very empowering, actually, because, you know, I um, I had, kind of started off that way when I was younger, like in my early 20s, and then you just sort of, um, 
it's easy to start to feel kind of lost and not know what to use on your skin. So it was actually really informative and it's very empowering to be able to just make your own things and for it to be very simple like that. It's, um, it's great actually. So, um, so that was nice. I don't know if you were listening to the, the very first caller, but we were talking about resentment and how tiny little resentments very easily get created in relationship because we're always accommodating each other and it's a loving thing to do. But what mm-hmm. a wonderful way to get rid of some resentment by saying to your partner, lay down, I want to dump yogurt on your face. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I was listening to that, and that was exactly what I thought of when you said you just have to let it go. I thought, yep, that's marriage, basically. That's it, you know. <laughs> that's what I do all the time. <laughs> so, and now that my daughter's 15, it's like, yep, yep, that's, that's it. <laughs> she gets a little saucy. So, oh, well, you uh, know. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for calling. Yes, yeah, thank you for inviting me to call out. It means a lot that you create the safe space that you do for, you know, for, well, anyone and everyone to be able to call in and just talk about those sorts of things and and um, and obviously everything that you provide uh, knowledge-wise is amazing, but I just really appreciate that you do this and thank you for inviting me to call back to share that I you know, was okay and in, in my experience. So I'm sure I'll call again with some other, you know, thing eventually. Oh, and good. I definitely try to I look, listen I look forward to that. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, thank you. We are all ah, breathing a sigh of relief that we know that your story, at least so far, has a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> this chapter, shall we? Yes, great. (laughs) Uh, Is that all? Is there something else? No, no, that's it. Yeah, that's all I have for tonight. Thank you. Bye-bye. Good night. Bye-bye. All right. And so we have one caller with their hand raised that has pressed one. And that caller is calling from the 802 area code. From the 802, you are live with Susan. Hey, Susan, how you doing? Hey, doing great. And you? I'm great. This is Dave. I'm calling from the 44 Parallel here in Vermont. And I'm here with my All daughter. Right. Yeah, I'm here with my daughter, Camila. She's five years old. And we are huge fans of you and your granddaughter. And we just wanted to say thank you so much for what you do. You are welcome. It makes us both so happy to know that we can share with you and that um, your five-year-old can see another five-year-old at ease in the natural world. That's right. That's what it's all about. So if you don't mind, Mm -hmm. she actually has a quick question she would like to ask you. That's just fine. Please put her on the line. Okay, here she is. How old is your granddaughter? My granddaughter right now is 13, and in three months, at the end of November, near Thanksgiving, she'll be 14. That's getting old, isn't it? 
Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so, Susan, uh, I have one more question. Actually, I have, well, one or two more questions. Um, sure. One, so we deal with a lot of herbs, too. We're, we're just like you and our, your granddaughter, Monica Jean. And I wanted to be serious about that. Like, we watched that video with the nettles so many times. And I, and I think in that video, you know, she's much younger, of course. And then I just so recently saw a video where she's, you know, maybe 12 or 13, like current video. And I was like, whoa, I didn't even realize, you know, she, she's, you know, gotten that much older. So cool to see. But in that, I, in that nettle video, I think she's a similar age to Camila, maybe five or six. Yes. Yes. And uh, we've watched it so many times, and I just, yeah, thank you again, because we, we make confusions, and we, you know, of course, we just go out, we spend a lot of time in the forest harvesting herbs and um, just learning, you know, learning from Mama Nature. So my question is... I tell you, she is the best, she's the best teacher, and what I really like about her is you give her an hour, and she'll convince you that you are her favorite child. <laughs> I heard you say that before one time. I love that. I mean, that's it's so crazy that you said that, Susan, because I heard you. I just started listening to your uh, podcast yesterday. We've been watching your YouTubes for a long time, but I didn't realize you have a podcast. We actually do a podcast as well. Um, but anyway, I, I and I heard you say that, and, and it's something that resonated so much with me that I wanted to, like, repeat it to myself because um, I always <laughs> spend time in the forest. I work in the forest, uh, and... I just, but it's something that you got to repeat, you know, just like a uh, forest bathing. I always like to think about, have a conscious thought about that before I do it, as I go into it. So that's, man, that that's just incredible that you mentioned that. I love that. Um, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> and what, you said you, you said you get to work in the forest? Yeah, yeah, I work in the forest. Yeah, I do like trail work. I work for the National Forest up here. We got, actually, we do quite a bit. We have a, uh, a business where we we um, we would do, like deal with some like wild mushrooms uh, with our local co-ops and stuff like that, and we've got a website and stuff too as well. Um, but yeah, pretty much spend you know eighty to ninety percent of my time in the forest. Um, it's you know, for, fine with me if you want to say what your website is. If you want to, because I know that other listeners are going. I want to get in touch, so oh, please okay. be my guest. Well, we have two. We have our radio show, which is called Jawworks Radio, and it's jawworksradio.com. Primarily a reggae radio show, but we also have speakers come on. We we do like our what we call a reasoning series, where we have, you know, actually I I wanted to reach out to you to invite you on the show. To be honest, um, people like yourself who are inspiring to us that come on the show to speak, as well as just reggae reggae music, which is one love music. Uh, that's the focus of the show. And then our, our other website is 44ParallelSuperfoods.com. And what we have there is chaga mushroom and maca chaga mushroom, which I'm sure most people know of, and it grows here in the Northeast and other places, of course. But here we harvest it in Vermont. And then we have maca root powder, which comes from Peru. And my, my wife is from Peru, and so we have a whole side of our family that's from Peru. So when we go down there, we come back with, with the maca. And like right now, my... Uh, my mother-in-law's up here, and she brought the maca. So those are the two things we have currently, and then we have other like wild edibles that we do seasonally uh, and locally, more locally. But yeah, thanks for thanks for asking that question. I appreciate that. You are welcome. I'm sure that um, all of our listeners are curious. I'm not saying they'll necessarily all get to 44th parallel. Yeah, it's called and, 44, uh, 44 parallel superfoods.com. 
44 parallel superfoods.com and Jawlove. Uh, Jawworks. Jawworksradio.com. Or you can just Google Jawworks. Jawworks. Yeah, Jawworks. Jawworks. All right. Jawworks. That's that's an easy one to remember. Yeah. Okay. Um, Yeah. Have you ever. I last, let's see, I think it was last fall, I was really drawn to a wild sarsaparilla. I, it grows everywhere around here. Um, it probably, you're in the Hudson Valley, so I imagine it's common there as well. Um, and I made a tincture. It, actually, to be honest, it, it was kind of just so-so. Like, I was kind of new to tinctures, um, and I still am new. I've made some really good ones since, but I was curious if you've ever worked with a wild sarsaparilla before? It's a very interesting plant. And because we're talking and people aren't right there with the plant, let me be clear that there are two sarsaparillas that are used by herbalists. What you're calling the wild sarsaparilla, which is are actually looks like it should be uh, called sarsaparilla, but it's mm-hmm. called sarsaparilla, uh, and um, Jamaican sarsaparilla, yeah, which is, yeah, actually yeah. In a diff- is actually in a different plant family. And I find that most books <clears throat> will give you information about both of them at once, not really distinguishing between them. And I think they're quite different. The sarsaparilla that lives in the forests of the northeast is related to Panax ginseng. Yes. And it has a root and a stalk that have definitely have glycosides. It tastes sweet. And those glycosides, while they are killer sugars, um, have a lot of tonic effects in the body. There was a lot of sarsaparilla in my forest when I moved here in 1978. The warming trend has pushed it north. There's hardly any sarsaparilla left in my woods. Wow. That's crazy. And when it was in my woods, I did do my best to read about it, which is when I found out that you could get really confused reading about it because people weren't distinguishing between the two kinds of sarsaparilla. And so I pursued more native sources about it because I knew that it was used a lot by the native people. And they, if they had the word adaptogen, they would have called it an adaptogen. Basically, they said, it gives you endurance. It makes you breathe better. It helps anybody who has a chronic problem. It keeps your heart strong. It's all the things we know about adaptogens. It keeps you free of disease. But they tended not so much to make remedies of it as to chew on it while they were journeying. Mm. Was it mostly on the root then? Yes, the root and the leaf stalk. You can just pop the leaf leaf stalk off. It's got a really tough leaf stalk, and it pops off the root pretty easily. 
And you you chew on that, and I chewed on that. And I could keep that. I know the, that the people who were wise in ginseng in the Catskill said to me, you get the most from it if you keep it in your mouth the longest. Patilin, of course, is working on sugars and starches, so maybe it works on the glycosides as well. I don't really know. But I know that's what I always endeavored with, with uh, sarsaparilla. So I would pop off the leaf stalk, I would strip off the leaves, and then I would just chew on the leaf stalk and endeavor to keep it in my mouth for the longest possible time. Mm. That's great. I'm going to have to try that. What I've done so far is, you know, done a lot of tea, which is the tea I really enjoy from the root. And then I made that tincture, like I mentioned. And the tincture, you know, like I said, I was new with tinctures anyway, so it was kind of a experiment. Um, I use like, I don't know, some kind of high proof vodka and, uh, it tasted a lot like vodka. <laughs> it didn't, it didn't really get the, the flavor didn't really absorb into it too much. It didn't, you know, like what I'm used to with a, with a, um, a tincture, but you know, it wasn't, it wasn't bad, but I, I, I kind of favored the tea, but I'm going to try that chewing huh. on it. That sounds really good. Yeah. Yeah. And I can see where the tea would be really good. I'm a little confused about like hundred proof vodka. Because I find that if I make a tincture from the same plant and say 100 proof vodka and 198 proof Everclear, that the vodka definitely gets much more of the flavor of the plant than the Everclear does. Oh, okay. You know what I think may have been the uh, the problem, and I'm going to have to try it again. I, I might not have chopped up the wild sarsaparilla quite enough. It may have been too big. I remember I kind of I, cert- I certainly do find with my vodka tinctures that chopping your roots or your plants up is a very important part of it and really getting your jar full. Yeah. That's right. I suspect also that there are volatiles in the sarsaparilla, which would mean that all haste should be taken from digging the root to getting it in the tincture. Mm. Especially okay. if you're saying, oh, I don't didn't taste those things. I think the things that you're not tasting are the volatiles. That would make sense. Right, all, all of those fragrant volatile things which the Japanese are now fingering as the reason for the benefits of forest bathing. Mm. <laughs> all right, all those, all those terpenes, all those volatiles coming out of all those plants at those very low levels, and we're designed to make use of it at that level. Wow. Right, we're not designed to be smacked across the face with an essential oil. Mm. Interesting. The human ability, the human olfactory ability is quite stronger than we ever suspected. Give somebody something to smell and then start diluting it. The vast majority of people can still detect the smell down to one part per billion. And some people can detect it at even more greater dilutions. I believe that. I I find that for me, like a smell... I don't know, I'm just a smell person, like, it's just, I have a keen sense of smell, and it's just important, like, you know, we all get that um, 
memories that come back with all of our different sensations, of course, but each of us, I think, favor some or one or the other. And uh, smell for me, like particularly being in a forest or, you know, that kind of smell, anything that smells bring back a lot of a lot of memories. And, um, yeah. It's a, it's yeah. A, yeah. Sense for sure. So, well, so much, Susan. Uh, I think we're we're actually heading to we're doing kind of we were doing story time, and, and uh, instead of story time, we're listening to your show for a little bit. So, really appreciate you uh, again. And I'm I have a lot more questions. Okay, so, and I'll, thanks for bringing your I'll story be... time to us. Jawworks, <laughs> green blessings. <laughs> All right, many blessings to you. We'll talk soon. Right. Good night. All right. Peace. So lovely. All right, we have one caller who has pressed one to signal that they have a question, and the caller is calling from the 908 area code. From the 908, you are live, Susan. Hello, 908. Are you there? In the 908. Yeah. Oh, I think she me? finally got here. Yes, we oh, can hear you. Yes. Yay. Hi, Susan. Hi. Oh, it's, it's Carol. Carol. Hi, Carol. Hi. Hi. So hey. you had mentioned. Hey. You had mentioned about the um, uh, yarrow uh, uh, in vodka for um, acne, and you said make a spray out of it. Just put it in a spray bottle. You don't make anything. You just put it in a spray bottle. Oh, oh, the straight tincture. You don't have to dilute it. You put the tincture straight in the spray vodka tincture. Yep, got it. Oh, perfect. Okay, that that is so wonderful. Thank you so much. I really um, and like twice a day after washing your face. Mm, I'm not a big fan of washing your face. Okay, and. And it can be as often as you want to, but the most effective is to spray your face and leave it on before you go to bed. Oh, thank you, Susan. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Or wherever, really or wherever it. it is. It doesn't have to be your face. People yes. can get acne, can get acne in other places, and it works on other places, too. I don't want people to say, oh, she, it says it only works on your face. That's not what we're saying. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. And um, the the uh, St. Jones wort that you recommended for the grinding teeth at night is working very nicely, and it's also, I think, helping me um, get back to sleep if I wake up to go to the bathroom. So that's working very nicely. Really appreciate it. And um, of course, the um, infusions are are great. I'm just really, you know, enjoying them. So thank you so much, Susan. And, and you are many, welcome. Many thanks, for, thanks for validating that hypericum is so useful for teeth grinding and tension in yes. general while you're mm. sleeping. It's, you know, when people talk about herbs that help sleep, hypericum uh-huh. hardly ever gets mentioned, and yet I find it, I, not that it puts you to sleep, but it relaxes your muscles so you go to sleep. Oh, yes, Susan, it's really, it's really wonderful. That was a really good advice. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yes. You are welcome. Thanks for oh, calling yes, in. 
It would be a different thing. It's not a better or worse thing. But there's something about crying with the goats, and the goats get it. They feel neutral. And they're really there. And when I see an apprentice who's really upset, I say, go and cry with the goats. So, I noticed that. So we have a long relationship with animals, with animals that are willing to trust us enough to live with us. And not all animals will trust us enough to live with us. That's a great point. I have had rabbits who have gotten out of their safe and cozy cages. One of them in particular, she and I, she was a beautiful black rabbit, uh, were very, very close. And every afternoon when I would come to put the goats away in the barn and feed the rabbits in their cages, she would show up and come and hang out and sit in my lap and we would have a great time together. And so I also learned from her that that it's not something that I'm doing to the animals, that there's an agreement. And that I'm participating in that. How about allergies and the hair that some, I have a friend with a companion dog and I help her with her allergies so much. It's just so much dog hair that I'm, I just wonder about it. Well, you Thanks. know Thanks. that I think that there's only one allergy and that's an allergy to life itself. I love that, too. You're right. I mean, but you, all right. Yeah, I, in some ways, I think that they're becoming immune to their dog. I mean, the, the hair's there. I mean, we are living with ourselves. and You know, life is hairy and moldy and pollen-filled, and modern humans do their best to live in a spore-free environment, you know, without all of these so-called allergens. <clears throat> and I'm not in any way saying that a person who says they're allergic isn't allergic, but I'm also saying that it's not that, that, that dog hair is an allergen. Everybody who comes in contact with dog hair doesn't get an allergic response, right? Correct. Therefore, not everybody, no. it is... Also, normal behavior not to have an allergic response. Exactly. You're right about that. I mean, because allergies are often just pegged as a reason for what I'm feeling. Right. Thank you so much for that explanation. And I hear... Audubon saying cats kill an enormous number of birds. Make your cat an indoor cat. Don't let your cat go outside. 
Oh, they're very hard on the wildlife. There's no doubt. I just, especially I, I in, about especially in suburban settings, it's hard for me to really believe that the one cat that I have, given that I have with my neighbors, considering my land and my neighbor's land, there's over 300 acres of land here. It's hard for me to think that one house cat on 300 acres is going to diminish the bird population, but I can certainly see how house cat after house cat after house cat, house after house after house in a suburban situation could really do a horrible number on the birds. So I think it also has to do with where are you? Exactly. And and I know, you know, some people who say, I, I want the connection with the animals, but I don't want to have to take care of the animal, and they volunteer at animal shelters, or they um, find where there are wild cats in their city and start doing a capture and release with the wild cats. So they capture them, spay and neuter them, and re-release them. What's your, what's your um, have you ever owned a dog? A long time ago when I was a little girl, goats don't like dogs. So, so long as it's the goats and me, dogs are not in my purview. Now, my neighbor John has a dog with his goats who takes care of his goats. Right. That's what I was thinking. That you have companion dogs to the goats. To the goats, right. But it's a, but the situations that I've known of where people had goats and a dog all ended in disaster with the dogs basically killing the goats. They are long-time enemies and have been in many stories in many countries. So I, as a goat keeper, must admit that I do not, I do not trust the dogs. <laughs> I understand. I hear you, and I'm always interested in people's relationships to dogs because they'll say yes, it's like a child. Yes. But I'm, like, but it's no, it's your most prized possession. It's not a child. We're not going to have a funeral at a funeral home for your dog like we would for your child. There is a difference here. But I understand the prized possession. Like if you're going to leave your house on fire, grab grab your dog. You know, but there's. I just, it's, it's always interesting to me the amount of love people can put on a dog. And I, I'm just interested in hearing about, you know, but I understand the companion space. And I've seen dogs doing amazing, I mean, people's lives are extended because of their companion dogs. Exactly. I mean, you can see they're, they're clearly healthier having a, an animal that loves them and they get to take care of it, you know. Just an interesting concept. But thank you so much for your time, Susan. Thanks for your question. Dream blessings. Good night. Good night. All right. And we have about 10 minutes before our guest joins us this evening. And we have one caller that has chewed up with a question. And they are calling from the 202 area code. From the 202, you're live with Susan. Uh, yes, this is uh, Dr. Eunice Brown. Hello. Hello, this is Eunice Brown. 
Oh, good. I'm so glad you called. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the questions I, I have, I, I, like I said, told you earlier, I see your books, you know, that I, I have had it for years, and it's very informative. And also I noticed that you had, you wrote, uh, some time ago you wrote an article on Jason Winter, and I read his books back in the early 1970s uh, about his his uh, blend, you know, uh, he used with tea. Since you wrote an article about it, do you know what the herbaline spice is in your tea? So you say that I wrote an article about Jason Winter's tea? Yes, mm-hmm. I printed it off the... Uh, Yes, mm-hmm. I thought I had it here. Oh, mm. yes, and um, let me see. I think I think I have it with me. Let me check it. Okay. Hope I didn't leave it up there. <laughs> uh huh. Yes, I'm here. I'm trying to see if I have the article down here with me. You know. Yeah, that's that's great. Thank you for looking. I really appreciate that. Uh huh. Yeah, boy, that's uh-huh. definitely uh a name from way back in the 40s and 50s, right? Jason Winters. Yes, mm-hmm. And um, yeah. he mentioned that in his, you know, blend how successful his tea, you know, that he made the Jason Winter tea. But it always I've tried to determine for quite some time what is the herbal lane and the triple lane. Uh, I think it's tribal lane he uh, mentioned. Uh, I don't think I have the article down here now, but... Uh, I'm still looking for it. Well, here it is. Just a second. I think I got it. Okay, yes. Um, this is an article uh, that you uh, wrote. Um, it's a Weed Wandering Herbal Event with Susan Weed. And it was uh-huh. written, you wrote this article in January of 2005. Now, five, not four. everything in the e-zine is written by me. Does it have my byline on it? Um, it has, uh, yeah, it says uh, weed wandering at the top. The caption is, um, in bold uh-huh. letters. What's wandering the name of the article? Mm-hmm. And the article that you're talking about? Does yeah, that article have a name? Yes, it's the Anti-Cancer Lifestyle, A Second Chance by Jason, uh, Sir Jason Winters. The Anti-Cancer Lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. I'm looking at um, Amazon, and Amazon says Jason Winters tea contains red clover, chaparral, oolong, and a special spice. Yeah, that's interesting. I have a long time. Since I have his book, so that's 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 a pretty clear list of ingredients, and both red clover and chaparral are considered anti-cancer herbs. Yes, tea, both black and green tea, is considered a cancer preventative. Yes, but I'll, 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 and, what I'm trying to determine is yeah. uh, what is the herbal name spice. I've tried to what is the special spice. Yeah. Well, what does it taste like to you? Does it taste like cinnamon? Does it taste like cloves? Does it taste like allspice? If what I was trying to do was to reproduce the blend, I would 
buy the tea in as whole a form as I could get so that I could look at it. And mm-hmm. if I could only get it in tea bags, I would tear the tea bag open and I would look at it. And then I would start trying different spices um, to see what matched up with the taste. You know, it's only put in there to confuse you. It's not important. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Because I know even if you flat on the just put in there so you won't make it yourself, which mm-hmm. is what the heroic tradition always does. The heroic tradition is about disempowerment. Let me make a special blend and hold back and not tell you one of the key ingredients so you will always have to come to me to get it instead mm-hmm. of understanding that red clover by itself would be far better than Jason Winter's tea. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. Red clover is very powerful, very powerful. Right, so. right. That's that's all we need to know. Red clover mm-hmm. will do it. And you want to mm-hmm. add some chaparral and some tea to it, there's certainly nothing wrong with that. Right. But, again, those kinds of things... Again, those are from 60, 70 years ago when mm-hmm. cancer treatments were very brutal and people basically did their best to hang on and avoid cancer treatment. You can mm-hmm. still be killed by cancer treatment without a doubt, but more and more people now are not killed by cancer treatment, and so we're... F- excuse me, the hiccups, focusing more on adaptogenic herbs and herbs that help get people through chemotherapy, radiation, surgery, mm-hmm. and all the big guns of modern medicine because the absolute truth of the matter is that the studies that have been done looking at survival rates and health, healthy survival rates, comparing people who do conventional medicine and people who only do alternative medicine, the alternative medicine is a cancer treatment stinks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would never recommend to someone that they do only alternative medicine if they have a cancer diagnosis. Mm-hmm. I thought mm-hmm. I would never recommend that somebody do only modern medicine if they have a cancer diagnosis either. I really mm-hmm. think that, that in this situation they work fabulously mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. 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 And certainly, you know, red clover, chaparral, tea, and some special spice brewed up as a tea, which uh-huh. means a small amount of dried herb brewed for a short time is not going to be harmful, but it is very unlikely uh-huh. to get right. rid of any kind of cancer at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I like chaparral, too, you know, very much. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it, I know like, it sounds like you uh, had a special relationship with Jason Winters that it, perhaps it's been useful to you in some way. Would you be willing to um, share that? Well, I, um, you know, yeah, I, I think I read his book, you know, 
And another author that wrote a book, I uh, can't remember who the author is, and I read Jason Winter's book, I think it's somewhere around in 72, or between 72 and 1972 and 75. And um, and in 1980, um, I had a brother. My brother, uh, he uh, experienced the, uh, the disease, and I was sort of, you know, new to my interest was just new. And new I'm sorry, to, your brother experienced. Your brother experienced what? He okay. He yeah. He had uh, he had cancer and uh, Oh, got oh, cancer. I, I, well, I was confused because cancer is not a disease. Mm-hmm. Okay, but sometimes, you know, uh, some yeah. Yeah. Training, so you had a cancer little, diagnosis, I hear you. Uh-huh. Yeah, sort of reluctant to use that word, you know. <laughs> and so, but anyway, he was diagnosed. And I remember what, you know, uh, the recipe, the formula in Jason Winter's book, you know. But I did, you know, did the red clover and, and some of the other herbs and all, et cetera. And uh, I took it to him in the hospital, you know. And so um, then at around Thanksgiving, I forgot how long I took it to him in the hospital. Maybe a couple months, I don't know. But anyway, around Thanksgiving, because he had a wife and two young children at home, one was less than two years old and the other one was about seven they decided to let him go to go home and spend Thanksgiving with his uh, family. So when he went home, well, that meant that I really, you know, increased the dose of the amount of tea that I was giving him. And so when he went back, they, um, the doctors were waiting for him, and he said he was standing in, um, he was going back to, to his treatment, and they were standing out in the lobby, and they saw him walking without the aid of a wheelchair. And they said, look at Mr. Merritt, look at Mr. Merritt, who's walking. And later on they said they couldn't find, you know, he died, you know, what he was diagnosed with. But they kept on treating him with chemotherapy. And that weakened him so much until that he just wasn't able to fight it and he lost the battle at 35 years old. So, but they say the book I'm, so, I'm so sorry to hear that. What was his? Hmm. Well, I didn't get the what question. What was his name? Oh, his name was Charlie. 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 C H A R L I E. Charlie. Got it. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. I know Charlie's listening to us. Mhm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. So thank thank you for sharing that. How uh, much improvement he got when you were able to give him a lot more Jason Winters tea. Mhm. Mhm. Yes. Mhm. Yes. And so. Yeah. So I think that you know you still can get his tea, and uh, they they have a. Uh, I've seen it on the website. Yeah, well, as I said, it's, uh, I see it right here on Amazon. Mhm. Mhm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Still out there, still available. Yeah. And I just always wonder out through my, you know, extensive research. On well, what is that uh, special spice? Well, that's what mm-hmm. they want you to wonder. They want you to wonder what that special spice is. Right. Mhm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So. That's okay. It's mm-hmm. not. It's not the thing 
that's doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think it's, it's the thing that it's, it's the thing that keeps you tied to Jason Winterstein, because the other mm-hmm. three things you could just get on your own. Yes. Yes. At yes, far yes, less yes. at far less cost. So they have to throw mm-hmm. in some special secret to keep you coming back and buying their thing. Oh. Yes. Right. That's kind of the way they do it. Uh-huh. Because they don't, no matter And, oh my goodness, I am so sorry, but I need to say goodbye to you. Thank you so mm-hmm. much for calling, and I hope you can call again. And mm-hmm. I want to introduce Carolyn Griffiths. So, green blessings and good night to you. Okay, all right. That's great. Yeah, it's at 9 o'clock. Time for our interview. Thanks for calling. Carolyn Griffiths holds her work as two blossoms united on one stem. She's a spiritual mentor, a ritualist, a dream worker, and a woman of prayer. She serves as a spiritual mentor to activists and visionaries around the country. And she's an intuitive ritualist and founder of Earthkeeper Wisdom School, which explores the power of community and ceremony for social change and personal transformation. These offerings unite around her mystical journey of earth reverence and divine surrender. Carolyn's work is also enriched by the following. She holds a master degree in pastoral arts, a certificate in spiritual direction, spiritual direction supervision, and in shamanic energy medicine through the four winds, as well as training in emotional clearing techniques, conflict, transformation, of course, in miracles, and the work that reconnects. She also joyfully weaves within women's circles in which the divine feminine is revered and the priestess path remembered. Carolyn is dedicated to the work of eliminating racism and all forms of oppression and to honoring the earth and all living beings. These commitments infuse all of her offerings. Welcome to the show, Carolyn. Hello, dear Susan. What an honor to be on your show. I have followed you for many, many years and admired your work in the world. Thank you so much. What a wonderful, meandering path you have taken, filling your basket with such delicious goodies. What are some of your experiences in ceremony that rise up that you want to share with us? Hmm, gosh. Well, maybe I'll start by sharing a ceremony that led me into ceremony. You know, I think the first ceremony that I participated in was led by Sibonso Somme, whose name means keeper of rituals. She comes from the Dagra tribe of Burkina Faso. And I attended her ecstatic grief ritual um, in large part to meet Sabonfu, who had become a great inspiration to me. And I didn't realize when I went to that ritual that I myself had great grieving to do. But when she sent us out onto the land to create grief bundles, I found myself grieving what I had settled for in my marriage. And I then brought my grief bundle to the altar and entered into a deeply soulful conversation with the cosmos about my marriage and the true life 
that I had so far denied. And after that ritual, so much was set in motion. My dreams became ignited and and guided me towards a new life. You know, and I really saw in my dreams that um, that my marriage was done and that there was a new life for me on the horizon. And I believe all of that was set forward by my first experience of ceremony. Wow. We believe it, too. Yes, and I can I can share with you countless stories. We could do that, um, you know, for the whole time we have, um, you know, just sharing stories of the power of ceremony because ceremony by design re-empowers us in, in connection with the greater powers, in connection with the sacred. We reclaim our power and retune our inner guidance system our inner guidance system that that guides us to our true life. Yes. When I say that the wise woman tradition is about healing through nourishing, I Mm. remind people that nourishment includes simple ceremony and that it is the nourishment that is most missing in modern life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that ceremony also nourishes our relationships with the greater web of life. So, you know, the, the earth path is a path of reciprocity. We need to feed our relationships. We need to tend our relationships with the more than human world and with the sacred realms, with the unseen world. And, you know, one thing that we commonly do in ceremony is, is practice reverence and, and give offerings to the earth or to the waters or to our ancestors. And in doing so, we strengthen those bonds of belonging and we really call in our team so that we can be here acting as agents of change, well connected to all of these greater powers that would seek to support us and that are here to, to be like kin to us on this journey of life. Ceremony connects us to ourself by connecting us to community and connecting us into deep time as well. Mm-hmm. True, true. And, you know, one of the gifts of ceremony is that we need one another to create beautiful ceremonies. You know, as a ceremonialist, I need to collaborate with song leaders and dance leaders and drummers and fire keepers and, and people that know the language of the plants, you know, are there, are there plant allies for this ceremony? So to create ceremonies um, at, the, at the level of impact that I have felt called to hold, um, we must come together. And, and, that, and that's part of the medicine in itself is, you know, the way that I think it heals, heals our humanity to come together and, and enact our power as co-creators, but also as, as healers of one another in ceremony. It 
Yes, it was really stunning to me when I was told that the earlier belief was that celebrating the equinoxes and the solstices turns the wheel of the year, that we are not just Mm -hmm. somehow bystanders celebrating this thing, but that our celebration actually has an equal reaction out in nature. Yeah. I'm really happy that you brought that up because it highlights for me the difference between um, our our modern view of the human place in the world in a more ancient earth-based view. And, you know, I think the worst conclusion um, many of my contemporaries have is that as humans that we're blight, we are a blight to the earth. And that is such a sad, sad and tragic story that we could ever hold about ourselves. And, you know, the ancient ones always saw us as servants of life and as having a critical role a critical role in in the wholeness of the cosmos that we could participate in. And I do think that, you know, our ritual actions are designed to bring wholeness and also to create stories, you know, stories of of meaning about who we are in relationship to these the cycles of the earth and the greater powers that, that also bring wholeness, the stories themselves. So um, I am very much, you know, in my ceremonial work, part of my vision is that we are enacting a different story of what it means to human, that we're remembering that as humans we can be contributors to life and that we can be aligned with the cosmic cycles in a way that is is harmonious and beneficial. And that gives us a sense of self-worth that's unshakable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I you know, I imagine that 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 is, you know, a big part of the herbal path of remembering a way of reciprocity and right relationship with the the living green beings called plants and yeah when we're in right relationship we feel really good about ourselves rather than being in a relationship of of dominance or exploitation which is really the path that we are that we are given as as humans by the dominant culture i was just writing today about how when i learned to garden basically i was told you take a piece of land, and the first thing you do is you kill everything on it, and then you plant what mm. you want in rows, and you kill any other plant that dares to grow there. Um, I hear you. Yes. Yes. And it so, did not take long to desire a more peaceful gardening experience. The first violence is tilling the soil, and the second violence is pulling the weeds. Yeah, and I'm so glad that, that your soul moved that. You know, because I believe there's an ancient wise one in all of us that that knows, you know, deep down in our bones what what is whole and, and what is true and and what is of nurturance to borrow your word, you know, what is of nurturance to our soul in the greater life? 
And ceremony can remind us of that. Ceremony can open the door to that. How does ceremony fit into that? Mm-hmm. There are many different kinds of ceremony. I myself am a catcher and co-creator of emergent ceremonial forms. And so what I mean by that is that as, as a ceremonialist, I, I am not a keeper of ancient traditions, but rather I catch those ceremonies that I believe are offering themselves to be stepping stones to the world that's seeking to be born. Um, so these ceremonies that I bring forward are, are particularly here to bring healing to our times. And, you know, that includes ceremonies like ways of blessing the water and holding it sacred um, in, in a way that also revitalizes and ennobles the water. But it's also ceremonies that bring healing to the collective, like I've designed a, a, a kind of grief ritual for this time of, of COVID that where we really witness and see all of the forces that have been at play that have um, really made it hard to get through these times and that have disconnected us from one another and also made particular groups of people, particularly people of color, um, greater targets to, to the virus, you know, to having much greater loss of, of life. So ceremony offers a way that we can, public, that we can come together and collectively heal, collectively witness, and also intentionally lay, lay the template for a more beautiful world. Like we can actively dream together the way that we want to move forward. We can actively call in a future that is life-giving to all. In my main offering, you know, this is, this is so wonderful. That the, is it yeah. possible for you to be a little more specific so that we could all perhaps participate in our minds in some way? Because this is just marvelous what you're saying. Um, well, you know, my, my main offering at this time is called Earthkeeper Wisdom School, and we're at earthkeeperwisdomschool.com. And that is a. It's actually a year-long cycle of ceremony that people are invited to participate in. We gather in person. And, you know, one thing about the kinds of ceremonies that I do is just I actually do some online work, but the thing that, that really feeds my soul is the kind of ceremony where we're together and we are dancing and singing and, you know, making, crafting offerings that we are holding each other um and and that's that's hard to achieve across distance but at the same time i will say um you know many people contact me to design a ceremony for all kinds of reasons you know i work with women that maybe are recovering from sexual assault and and bring a circle of women together to help them to help the woman grieve and reclaim her power. Um, I've also brought women together to grieve the wounds of patriarchy and to reclaim 
um, the wise woman traditions as they're being manifest in each one of us. Um, so those are just a, a few kinds of rituals. Actually, I just did a, a ritual that with with a couple that was getting divorced, and we over months did work together in preparation for a divorce ceremony where we actually went out. They actually went out into nature and get this. They had me and my, my, the song leader I love to work with, with them on Zoom with a speaker. So they were out on, in nature, and I had them find a spot. They had a big shovel, and they had their wedding sheet, their wedding bed sheet. And we did a divorce ritual where they named, you know, this relationship that would never be the same again, and they ripped their wedding sheet in half. And then each half of the sheet, they cut into six strips. You know, the, the husband had one half of the sheet, the wife had the other half, cut them into six strips, ripping, tearing them with each, tearing each strip, you know, fully through the sheet, and then placed in the hole, naming first the three, you know, beautiful things about their love for one another that they were letting go of you know, that they would dearly miss. And then they put into the holes the three things, these three strips of fabric that that stood for the three things that they really weren't going to miss, you know, in leaving this marriage. And after doing that, they also buried something symbolic of their life together in this hole. And then they brought with them um, a, a statement that they wanted to bring to the universe about that they wanted to read and declare to the universe that named um, that named what they had learned, what they had learned in this relationship and what they were claiming for themselves as they moved forward. And that was an incredibly healing ritual for that community and those two, um, that man and woman that were separating, so or divorcing rather. So that's just, a, that's just a taste of some of the rituals that I offer. And um, really, I, I don't have a ritual repertoire. What I do is when people consult me for a ritual, I just first listen deeply to them, to what, you know, their soul is seeking or what is being called for. And then I open intuitively and I ask for an image of the ritual action that is to be taken. And I just wait for that image to come. And and later, you know, design a container around that that will include song, that'll include prayer, and, and whatever else would would serve and power that, that ritual action that's being called for. Well, you gave me exactly what I was asking for, the opportunity for us to kind of ride along in that divorce ritual. Thank you. We all really felt that and had that experience of how the somatic frees the emotional. I find Mm -hmm. that that so often people say, oh, you know, the emotional... Ha- is caused uh, 
by the emotional. The emotional causes the physical. But I see that the physical can also cause the emotional. Mm-hmm. And the healing doesn't have to come from the emotional to the physical. That doing a physical ritual like that can lead to emotional healing. Yes. And, you know, the wife that was part of that said afterwards that it was very comforting for her to just know where her marriage rested, you know, that it had a burial place and that that's where it ended. And it just helped her to know that all of those old stories and dynamics that that they had been buried, you know, and also I believe when they ripped that sheet in half, you know, they held both sides of it and ripped it in half with that sound that a you know, large sheet makes when it's ripped from top to bottom, they were experiencing the severing, you know, the indefinite severing of their relationship. And they knew in an embodied way this relationship is done. Yes, the actual physical sound of the ripping yeah. freed up emotion. They also had to wrestle with it and also what was they had to wrestle with it, but, but of course. Yeah, you had to wrestle with it. And it would be fun it. to take a poll really to see how many of us thought that after that ritual they got back together again. Yeah. No, they, they <laughs> sure didn't do that. But, but they did... They left clean of all of the sticky stories that that may have been between them. You know, all of those kinds of cords were were also laid to rest. I I will just share. You know, I know that we're running towards towards close, um, but I want to share that. You know, my real passion is how ritual and ceremony can serve movements for social change. And, you know, I also have participated much in the Black Lives Matter movement, the peace movement, the movement to love our earth. And um, and I've seen, you know, in settings like Standing Rock, how indigenous leaders stand up and act, but do it all in an attitude of reverence. They do it all in a sacred way. And I think that what is being called for in our times is that we all remember to act for change in a sacred way. You know, in whatever way we're being called to be enactors of, of justice or liberation or the dignity of, of all living beings, that, that we just remember that we can do that in prayer with song and that that we are spiritually sourced, especially in these times, in this time that many are calling the great turning. I believe that, you know, our ancestors, that the future ones are very invested in how how we show up and in, in that in each of us, bringing forward our, our gifts in these times. So ceremony is a way that, that we can call upon, you know, whatever we are connected to, you know, be it our, our ancestors or the power of the river that we are protecting to, to act with us as we, as we stand up in, in whatever way. 
I often look back on my activist days in my 20s and wish that I had understood ceremony. Wish mm-hmm. that it had uh, been untethered from ceremony only occurs in church and synagogue and temple. And not that it doesn't occur there. I but hear you. And somehow I, I didn't get that I could take it out on the street. Well, and I think that that's what we're remembering in these times. You know, I think that in these times, you know, we're, we're being called to be spiritually sourced agents of change. And we're remembering that, that we can be tenders of the sacred. And, you know, I would say in, in my own life, you know, it's been a journey of, um, of claiming that, that I am a priestess, that I am a spirit worker, that I am a tender of the sacred, and that I don't need to be, what would you say, I don't need to be licensed. I don't need to be ordained by some religion or an institution that um, I think most of our religious institutions are quite behind the times, though, though people are doing wonderful work within them. So I see Earthkeeper Wisdom School as a taking back or a claiming of, you know, we can, we can remember, we can recover these sacred life ways, and we can one another as as we remember that that we are all, you know, called in some way or another to be tenders of the sacred. So I, I feel you. I've been there too, and um, I think the times have changed. And at this point, I'm just like, you know, this is who I am, and and this is what I do. And I feel that I am commissioned um, by the communities that I serve, and I feel that I'm commissioned by the Great Turning itself. And you are. Because you are willing to accept that. Because you are mm-hmm. willing to conceive of it and accept it, so mote it be. Thank yes, you. we have come to that point where I say to you, what would you like to leave in the minds and the hearts of everyone who's listening to you tonight? Mm. Maybe I just will offer you this prayer. You know, I think I think our all of us have a deep heart longing to be of the greatest service that we can be. And I think there's such a profound prayer just to pray, I love you to the earth, to the sacred, to mysteries. Please use me. Please use me in the way that could bring the greatest healing and the greatest benefit to all of life. So I just close offering that prayer to be used by every heart that is gathered, that each of us might be called in the way that's most aligned with the liveness of our souls, most aligned with why we are here, so that together we can build a more beautiful world. I love you. I love you. What a wonderful mantra. Do you know the work of Annie Sprinkle and Beth Stevens and their new book, Assuming the Echo Sexual Position? (laughs) No, 
maybe I should. That might be a good takeaway. I think it is. Annie Sprinkle and Beth Stevens, assuming the echosexual position, Earth as lover. Oh, well, I love that. And, and Joanna Macy said that too, you know, Earth as lover, Earth as self. Yes, that is the truth that we are arriving at, that we are remembering together. I love Joanna well, Macy, too. You. I'm so glad you brought her up. I, I you reminded me of her when you were talking about the grief ritual for what's going on with our planet. Definitely a time yes. for and, grieving. And, I could talk to you all this, night. It's hard to believe our half well, hour let's, is let's up. Do it Thank you. Time. Thank yes, you, let's do it in another time. I just got word today that we're looking for people to do Tilma seminars with. So get in touch with the people from the Wise Woman team who helped you set this up and tell them you want to do a tele-seminar. They're looking for people. Let's do it. I think we could easily talk for an hour and a half. Thank you for your part in reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients and for helping to reclaim herbal medicine as people's medicine. And thank you, Sarah Ellen, for once again brilliantly being in charge. It's so relaxing to have someone in charge. Green blessings and oh. good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.